So we're in a series called Relationship Goals. And so far, we've talked about how to have great friendships and how to be great parents. And now this week, what we're going to focus on is how to have a great marriage. Now, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, let marriage be held in honor by all. What that's saying is whether we are married or not, we are all called to support and to hold marriage in high regard. For marriages to be successful, and it really goes for all of our relationships, it takes a great supporting cast. It takes people praying and encouraging and supporting and mentoring and building us up. Now, there's a book in the Old Testament that you may or may not be familiar with called The Song of Solomon. Now, it's an extremely intimate song between two lovers. Now, guys, I recommend you read this with your wife and you can thank me later. But throughout this book, there are background singers. Sometimes they're called the chorus or they're called the daughters of Jerusalem. And you know, I think every one of us is called to be a background singer, to be a supporter of marriages all around us. Now, the thing about background singers is that they say things like, Jesus breathes life into dead things. They don't say things like, he's beyond hope. No, instead, background singers say, don't lose hope. Keep on praying. They don't say something like, well, you could have done better, or you should just end it. You know, a positive background singer, a supporter of marriage would say, let me help you find a Christian counselor to help you get things sorted out. You see, the reality for every one of us is that we can be a background singer. Whether we're married or divorced or single, no matter where we're at, we can be a voice that encourages and builds up and points people to our Savior, Jesus. Now, I want to pause for a moment, and I want to talk to anyone here who has been divorced. Because I know that messages like these can sometimes be painful. You know, sometimes throughout history, the church has made divorced people feel lesser than or feel ashamed about themselves. And I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are welcome here that God's grace is for you, that God loves to bring redemption and new life to every single one of us, no matter what our story is. And to the rest of the church, every single one of us is responsible for creating a welcoming, graceful, and non-judgmental environment for every person. Well, some Pharisees came to see Jesus one day, and they had a trick question for him, as they often did. And they saw in the law of Moses that there were rules about divorce and separation. Since there was a law telling you how to do it, well, then that must make it perfectly fine any time, right? Well, even in this ancient culture, marriage was often treated cheaply and disposably. At this time in history, this meant women were treated especially poorly because men could easily end their marriages and move on to someone else who catches their eye with very little paperwork, very little regulation. 
Well, Jesus exposes the thinking of the Pharisees, and he points them back to the original intention that God has. What he says to them basically is, let's get beyond what's lawful, and let's go back to what God's purpose actually is. So we're going to take a look at a reading from Matthew chapter 19. It says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. You see, what Jesus is doing here is quoting from Genesis 1 and 2. He goes back to the very beginning when God invented and established marriage. When God brought Adam and Eve together, the model for what marriage is all about. Now, the first thing I think we learn here about establishing a great marriage is that God created marriage to be a covenant, not just a contract. God established marriage to be a covenant relationship, not just a contract. Jesus says in verse 6 of Matthew 19, let no one split apart what God has joined together. This is covenant language. Now the prophets Jeremiah and Malachi both talk about marriage being a covenant. Now what you need to know is that covenants are very different than contracts. But think about how many people today just think of marriage as another contract that we sign. Now, this is an important distinction. You see, covenants are always based on trust between the two parties. Yet contracts are based on distrust. You know, think about when you sign a contract, multiple pages, fine print. You know, sometimes you just have a few moments to try to scan through everything that you're agreeing to. And I think about the times I get updates on my iPhone, and it's like 56 pages of fine print that they ask you to hit agree to. Sometimes I wonder, what am I agreeing to anyway? Well, covenants also have unlimited responsibility. But contracts are always about limited liability. You're only bound to the things that are specifically spelled out in those 56 or more pages of small print. Now, covenants cannot be broken, even if new circumstances arise. But contracts, they can be voided by mutual consent or sometimes even by one party having a desire because of something new that comes up. You see, in marriage, when we say things like for richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, that is covenant language. Now, in the Old Testament, a covenant, a covenant was an oath that required the spilling of an animal's blood. And God was called upon during the covenant ceremony to be present and to be a witness and it was such a serious deal that basically what each party in a covenant was saying is, let me become like this animal who has been sliced in half if I ever break the covenant. 
covenants always included vows or promises, and they were expressed in love. And these vows and these promises in a covenant would be read every single year to help each party remember the commitment that they had made. Now, when you realize that marriage is a covenant, well, then you understand that God is at the center, that he is the one who brought you together, that your relationship matters to him. When you said your vows, you gave your word to each other, but also to God, and you formed a covenant with each other and also with God. Now, those promises you made 20, 30, 40, 50, or more years ago are still important today. Regardless of what circumstances came up, the ups and downs of life, those vows are still vitally important as a part of the covenant. Now think for a moment about how hard we try to keep things up to date in our life. Now think about your cars. You have to keep fueling them, you have to have the oil changed, you have to get new tires, you have to get new brakes. Think about your home, all of the home improvements that you have to do. You need to replace appliances when they get worn out. It's our insurance policies. We have to keep them up to date. Our investments, our retirement accounts, we want to keep them up to date. Even our wardrobe, maybe we want to keep it up to date. But what about your marriage? That leads into the second thing we need to know about having a great marriage. It's so important to keep your marriage vows current, to keep them up to date. Remember the promises that you made to each other and keep on committing to that covenant. We need to take those vows that were said sometime in the past and bring them into the present. Now, what are some ways that we might do this? Well, how about saying your vows to each other at least once a year? Think about what you said to each other, and then think about how you're applying that and living that out today. Now, when I do weddings, I always tell the couple, you know, you're going to have a hard enough time remembering where to stand, let alone listen to what I have to say. You know, there's all kinds of commotion, there's a photographer, there's excitement, there's family, there's friends. So I say, just pretend to listen to me. But later, I want to encourage you to sit down together and to watch the ceremony again and to really reflect on the vows that you make. Well, now, later into your relationship, you can sit down intentionally, you can discuss, you can recommit to the vows that you've made. Or how about you sit down together and write out vows and promises for the next five, 10, 20, 50 years of your life together. You see, our vows and our commitments, they flow out of the commitment that God has already made to us in Jesus. God models for us the power of a covenant. When we experience and know his love and his grace, it gives us the power to live that out in every relationship, to share his love and his grace with everyone around us. 
Now, there's a common phrase when talking about marriage, which is the two become one. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 19, verse 5. Now, Jesus is, of course, talking about the mysterious spiritual, mental, physical connection that we have within a marriage. But for Christians, that phrase takes on an extra special meaning because of our relationship with Jesus himself. You see, he's present in us through the Holy Spirit. He makes us one, and we have the help that we need to live out our vows. Now, the traditional wedding vows over time have often been to love, honor, and cherish. Now, think about what it would mean for you to reflect on those vows, especially in the most stressful of times. You know, maybe you're arguing with your spouse, you're tempted to slam the door and just leave. But what if those vows would echo in your head to remember love, honor, and cherish? You know, maybe you get into an argument, a conflict, and things start to heat up, and you're about to say something you shouldn't, and you remember love, honor, and cherish. You know, maybe you're in a bad mood and you're about to lash out at your spouse and then you remember love, honor, and cherish. You know, maybe parenting pressures begin to keep you from regularly connecting together and you need to remember your vows to love, to honor, and to cherish. You know, maybe sickness or financial strain starts to put an effect onto your relationship in a negative way. And you need to be reminded to love, honor, and cherish. When you start to think, well, I'm not feeling it anymore. Or when you start to think, is there any way out? Stay committed to your vows to love, honor, and cherish. But to do that, it takes hard, deliberate work. I like how Ed Young explains it in his book on marriage. And this number three to having a great marriage, he says, we need to have a marital work ethic. Now, Paul in Ephesians compares marriage to our relationship with Jesus, how Jesus has this relationship with the church. And it's meaning that it's founded on total commitment and self-giving love. Now, the reality is we live in a culture and a world that wants things quick and easy and fast and express and disposable and selfish. You know, sometimes we think if something takes a lot of work, we're not sure we really want any part of it. Well, anyone who's gotten married knows that marriage takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of sacrifice, and that is normal. But our culture, which is all about things being quick and disposable and selfish, it often clashes with marriage, which takes hard work, is forever, and gives selflessly. You know, when we fall in love with someone, we work hard to woo them and to show our love to them. I remember sitting through more softball games than I could ever imagine when I started to date Lex. And the thing was, it's because she loved softball, not because I did, but I was in the front row of every softball game of hers that I could get to. 
At that time, I remember not even having to think twice about giving gifts, going on adventures, random acts of kindness. But with time, things change. All kinds of other responsibilities come up. If you add kids, you add jobs, you add stresses and pressures, it's so easy for us to have our marriage take the back seat. We wake up one day and we wonder, how in the world did we get here? And who in the world is this person? Thing is, marriage takes work and it takes a lot of intentionality. Many people, when they're looking for a partner, are all about chemistry. You know, they want to fall in love. But once married life starts, and the problems and the struggles and the strains, they start to come up. Typically, it's not chemistry problems. It's relationship problems. Oftentimes, people think, well, love will keep us alive. But they don't put in the work on their relationship. I like what Andy Stanley says, falling in love only takes a pulse, but staying in love takes a plan. Maybe today you need to not only work on keeping your vows current and up to date, but number four, maybe you also need to make your marriage a priority again. And I think what that means is you need to make a plan. Here's a few suggestions For Lexi and I, when a vital part of our marriage has been being in a small group. In 2002, we got married in August, and two weeks later, we moved down to Des Moines so I could do my pastoral internship. My supervisor said one of the first things that we should do is join a small group at the church. But we had just gotten married, and we were new to this strange town. We had a brand new apartment, but that Thursday night, We headed to the church, and we met four other couples. And it's the best thing we could have ever done. All 18 years of our marriage, we've been part of a small group. One of those groups we've been in for 14 years. We commit a night a week to be with our small group. These days, that means being on Zoom. But we join together with our friends who share our values, who love Jesus, people we can be honest with, who will be truthful to us, people who will pray for us when things get tough. Now, sometimes at the end of a long, hard day, it's easier to think, you know, maybe we should just stay home, just veg out on the couch. For years, it meant we had to spend money on a babysitter. It took work and resources just to pay for that and carve out the time. But we had to remind ourselves again and again that it was so important to invest into our relationship. For some of you, maybe the best thing you could do for your marriage today is to get into God's word and to get together with some other couples who can support you and can challenge you. Maybe you need to get into a small group. Now, others of you, maybe you are grieving the loss of a spouse Maybe not too long ago, maybe long, a longer time ago. But I want, what I want you to know is that you have so much to teach all the young marriages here at the church. Maybe you need to get in a group so you can share your wisdom and you can encourage them and you can share the lessons about what you learned. Marriage isn't easy, but how did you get through it? We could use your wisdom and your mentorship. 
One other thing is I think we need to worship and pray together with our spouse. Keeping God at the center of our relationship is so vitally important. Make it a priority. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, there are also numerous studies, and I'm not making this up, that have found couples who pray together are 90% more likely to report higher satisfaction in their love lives than couples who don't. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, hmm, maybe we should try praying tonight. Well, also, I think we need to make sure we take the time to have regular date nights. Now, sometimes that sounds like a lot of work. It means getting a babysitter. It means working out details. It means saving up the money, planning, effort, intentionality. But you need to get in the habit of spending quality time together. Don't stop dating just because you're married. Prioritize the time to communicate, to connect, to enjoy each other's company. It will do wonders for your relationship. Well, finally, ask the one question that has the power to improve, refresh, revitalize, even resurrect any marriage. The question is, in what areas do you, not your partner, In what areas do you need to die for your marriage to work? You see, friends, the Christian life is all about dying. Dying to our sin, dying to our pride, dying to our selfishness, even dying to our ego. Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him. Paul tells us to die daily to our sinful desires. You see, marriage is about serving each other. It's not about being served. It's about putting the other first. Ephesians 5.21 tells us, submit to one another. Now this goes for men and women. The example that we're given in verse 25 is, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. Marriage should be a submission competition. Who can submit more? Who can serve the other more? Imagine what a difference it would make to seek ways to humble ourselves, to serve each other, to lay down our life for our spouse. And I know for me, it means I need to let go of my pride and my selfishness. This attitude I can have where I've worked all day, I've been around people, and I'm exhausted, so I deserve to check out and to disengage when there's still so much to be done around the house, so many ways that I can contribute. Now, maybe some of you feel like your marriage is beyond hope. Maybe you feel like none of these things will make a difference. You're just at that point. Well, remember the power of redemption, that God can heal and mend anything. Every single relationship we have takes a lot of grace, not just from each other, from God also. And just like none of us are beyond redemption, none of us are beyond hope, no marriage is either. 
I love 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new creation. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. God treats us first with grace and forgiveness, and then we're called to extend that grace and that forgiveness to everyone else. God's forgiveness no longer holds us to our past, and he doesn't hold our sins against us any longer. That's exactly the kind of forgiveness and grace that we need to show to each other in all of our relationships. And so today could be the day when you ask God back into the center of your marriage. Today could be the day when you are honest about the ways that you haven't lived up to your vows. Today could be the day when God begins to heal you and heal your marriage. God will not give up on you because you matter to God. And your marriage matters to God. Changing our marriages and relationships, it doesn't start with changing the other person. That's not even possible anyway. It always starts with changing ourself. Come before God, confess your shortcomings, ask for his help and his healing. Ask the Holy Spirit to help keep your vows up to date, to have a marital work ethic, to experience God's grace in a fresh way. And then ask him to help you show that grace to your spouse and to every other person in your life. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you care about every detail of our life. You care about every relationship we have. And God, today we pray for all of our marriages, marriages that you invented, that you brought us together. And so God, we confess the ways that we fall short, all the ways that we don't live up to our vows, all the ways that we give in to pride and selfishness. God, help us to look to you first. And then God, help us to submit to each other, to find ways to be forgiving, to show your grace, to show your love to each other. God, use every single one of us in this congregation and beyond to be a great supporting cast, to be background singers for all the marriages around us. Help us to be people who are encouraging and supporting and who build other people up. And God, let our marriages glorify you and reflect your goodness and your grace to all of those around us. And so God, we trust all this to your care in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And let's all say together, amen. Well, we're so glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. Please receive the benediction. Now, as you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over you, and within you to give you his love and his everlasting peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.